Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello, I'm Emma Crunch The Radioactive Show is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people And we acknowledge that their sovereignty has never been ceded I want to emphasise the point of unceded land because today's show is about war and peace in a foreign context where the speakers are addressing overseas wars. But I think we need to first acknowledge the conflict and invasion that has occurred and is occurring here within the many Aboriginal countries that lie in so-called Australia. I ask listeners to be mindful of this when they hear today's speakers discuss the conventional war history of Australia. So in today's show, a follow-on from last week's Radioactive show, which featured sounds and an interview about serenading Adela, a street opera, that told the story of anti-World War I conscription campaigns, in particular highlighting the role of women protesting conscription. Today we hear from three speakers about different eras and wars that Australia has been involved in. Later in the show, we'll hear from Jenny Grounds about the culture of war in our modern-day society. Bob Muntz reflects on being a draft resistor in the Vietnam War. And firstly, Joy DeMalsey addresses the link between women's leadership and the fight against conscription as we return to the World War I context. She is speaking at the Brunswick and Coburg Anti-Conscription Campaign Commemoration Conference, which was held in 2017. So to frame women's contribution this way also focuses um, and raises the question of women uh, and leadership, I think, in politics more generally. And I'll conclude by a broader point, but just to say here that political leadership exercised by women does not always conform to to male ideas of um, leadership or male models. And this is especially the case of women during during time of war. Because they were not involved in combat or the front line, women's leadership in the history of war has often been overlooked or devalued in terms of the conscription debate. They obviously could not give the ultimate sacrifice, but this is not to say they were not able to provide leadership in debates on war. So I want to talk a little bit about Cecilia John and the Women's Peace Army in relation to this, and John, I'm arguing, displayed such leadership during the campaigns. So that's my first point. My second point um, is I want to emphasise, following on from this, that the conscription debate gave rise to a debate about responsible mothering. What would a responsible mother do in relation to conscription? On this issue, women on both both no and yes sides forcefully argued their respective positions. Both sides believed they were arguing against violence and so aiming to prevent more slaughter, death and carnage of their men. In other words, both were looking to prevent more um, destruction. Despite John's exhortations at the start, women were definitely not united about conscription and this point about responsible mothering created very fierce divisions, as we'll see. So they're they're the two sort of points I want to frame this discussion around in my talk. This, of course, is not to say that the issue um, of mothers and women um, um, wasn't discussed beyond women's groups, of course. Um, the blood vote, which everyone here will know about, um, it's the most, one of the most iconic 
um, pieces, archival pieces in Australian history, captures the moral dilemma of women sending a man to his death by voting for conscription and powerfully confronts the mother who would do such a thing. Um, you would all know, written in 1917 by Winspear to emotionally sway women through guilt and um, some would say sentimentality. And I'm going to read it because I think it is a really powerful piece and worth going through, even though we probably all are familiar with it. Why is your face so white, mother? Why do you choke for breath? Oh, I have dreamt in the night, my son, that I doomed a man to death. Why do you hide your hand, mother, and crouch above it in dread? It, it beareth a dreadful brand, my son, with the dead man's blood it is red. I hear his widow cry in the night. I hear his ch- children weep. And always within my sight, I God, the dead man's blood doth leap. They put a dagger in my gasp. It seemed but a pencil then. I did not know it was a fiend a gasp for the priceless blood of men. They gave me the ballot paper, the grim death warrant of doom, and I smugly sentenced the man to death in this dreadful little room. I put it inside the box of blood, nor thought of man I'd slain, till at midnight came like a whelming flood, God's word and the brand of Cain. O little son, O my little son, pray God for your mother's soul, that the scarlet stain may be white again in God's great judgment roll. I think it's as chilling now as it was then. It's such a powerful piece. So how could a mother condemn a man to death? What mother would perform such a horrifying act? The mother appeals to her own son for forgiveness and redemption from her act of violence by voting for conscription. In another anti-war piece, um, another famous one we all know, I didn't raise my son to be a soldier, which I'm not going to sing. Um, Others can sing it much better than I can. Um, The tone, of course, is more sentimental, but again, appeals to mothers, again, mothers, to prevent the violent act of sending your son to war the only way mothers can. And you will know the words, I didn't raise my son to be a soldier, I brought him up to be my pride and joy. Who dares to put a musket on his, sol- uh, on, on his soldier to kill some other mother's darling boy? The nations ought to arbitrate their quarrels. It's time to put the sword and gun away. There'd be no war today if mothers all would say, I didn't raise my son to be a soldier. This, of course, was sung by Cecilia John, so it's now to John Altoon. Um, many of you, as Kate mentioned, uh, will know Cecilia John and the Women's Peace Army. She began distributing anti-conscription literature very early on in the war through the Australian Freedom League. Um, as Kate mentioned, she was a friend and supporter of Veda Goldstein, of course, promoted her bid for parliament in 1913, joined the Women's Political Association, um, prolific writer for the Women Voter, and they, of course, in 1915 formed um, the Women's Peace Army, which called for the abolition of conscription and militarism, equal rights for women, control of production by the people. Significantly, and it's something I'm very particularly interested in, is they formed a children's peace army to promote um, opposition to militarism and militaristic ideas. So what I'd argue about John is that she exercised um, political leadership through her actions. She was regularly in the thick of the debate against conscription. Uh, she was uh, uh, in the court several times, uh, and she led the campaign as a feminist and a pacifist. Uh, she was, um, as I said, a court, and of course the song I Didn't Raise My Son to Be a Soldier was subsequently banned after she had sung it so effectively during the anti-conscription campaign. So the Women's Peace Army, just to say a little bit more about them, um, it, was a, it was they had branches in Melbourne, Brisbane and Sydney, and um, it was really... Um, 
a militant group insofar as its, its tactics were concerned, but also it projected an image with its uh, a, a very strong socialist anti-war ideology uh, attracting large members to its sometimes controversial public meetings. So both John and Thorpe and the army set the uh, agenda on the question of responsible mothering and showed political leadership on this issue. They pushed the view that as peacegivers and child bearers, um, it was women's and mothers' responsibility to resist conscription. Um, Vita Goldstein um, campaigned on this, and I'll quote from her, women are not going to be made breeding machines of the god of war. War red and bloody war will not have the toll so much desired for it, for women will increasingly refuse to give life that men may take it. This is The Radioactive Show, and that was Joy DeMalcy, who spoke of women's involvement in fighting against conscription in World War I, and in particular the arguments made about mother's responsibility and potential power relating to whether or not to send their sons to war. I think the idea about mother's resistance is interesting and useful. However, it does tend to limit women's role as just being about mothering, which of course, is not the reality of the varied and colourful lives led by the many people who identify as women. Anyway, let's now turn to the Vietnam War era and hear from Bob Muntz, who I spoke to about his involvement as a draft resistor. What informed my decision was uh, views about uh, the Vietnam War. I uh, was at an impressionable age. I just started university at Monash University in 1965 when uh, Australia committed troops to the uh, Vietnam War. And uh, initially I was of a conservative bent, having grown up fairly isolated in a country town. Mm. But uh, being interested in the debates at Monash University, I... uh, changed my views and for about uh, six or seven years uh, thinking about the Vietnam War and its various manifestations really Mm. dominated uh, all my spare time. Mm. And uh, I went from uh, being uh, mildly opposed to the war to uh, embracing the idea of becoming a draft resistor and uh, refusing to be uh, conscripted to to fight in that war. Certainly the 60s and 70s were uh, a very different era from mm. World War I. But uh, in the early stages of the Vietnam War, I think uh, for a lot of people, uh, old people older than me, uh, they did have memories of World War I the, uh, uh, and the campaigns against conscription then. Arthur Corwell, who was then the uh, leader of the Labor Party, uh, he, in his impressionable years, in his youth, he had uh, cut his teeth on the uh, anti-conscription campaigns in World War One, mm. and when conscription was uh, reintroduced in uh, 1964, and within a few months, Australia committed troops to Vietnam. He was uh, very much opposed to, to that, and uh, uh, I'm sure he was uh, saw huge similarities. And the big uh, campaign, the big slogan against the war in the Vietnam War in the first couple of years was no conscripts for Vietnam, mm. embracing 
both uh, the, the issue of Vietnam itself and mm. the idea of opposition to conscription. Mm. And you, you could interpret that slogan as being it's okay to send troops to Vietnam uh, as long as they're not conscripts, as long as they're volunteers. Uh, uh, but that wasn't what it meant. It, okay. it meant uh, it was trying to bring together two strands of Australian history, the opposition to uh, conscription in the, the First World War and the uh, opposition to, to war more generally. That mm. to Yeah, because I, I guess that's an important distinction to make because, yeah, were there some who were just arguing that um, you shouldn't be compelled to go or was mostly that argument was really encapsulated within a broader anti-Vietnam war sentiment? Um, I I think fairly quickly uh, the the Vietnam War was very different to any previous wars really because there's a lot of first-hand information and uh, uh, film footage on the TV news every night of what was actually happening in Vietnam. And that certainly wasn't the case in World War I. Uh, even uh, after the soldiers returned from World War I, they were mostly reluctant to uh, talk to their families and other people mm. about uh, the horrors of it. Uh, but with Vietnam, uh, the opposition to it uh, quickly mounted when people saw the sort of war that was being fought. Mm. Mm. Uh, the Adela show, it's highlighted in particular... The those around people who were going to war, like their families, the campaign, the women who were left at home. Because um, in the anti-Vietnam War protests, did it? Um, who do you think was involved? Like who for you? Once you went to uni and um, were going to, was it workshops and seminars being put on by other students, or what did that movement comprise of? Uh, well, at university, it comprised of a very active uh, student uh, group who um, I was studying science. So I didn't uh, mm. get uh, a word about the Vietnam War during the heavy, pretty heavy workload of, of a science student. But uh, I was interested in uh, what went on outside the lecture theatres and there was quickly a, 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 a broad discussion uh, developed and uh, I think in my first year at university in 1965, there was what was called a Vietnam Teach-In, mm. which was a marathon 12-hour session of uh, people uh, invited from both within and without the university and included the government ministers and uh, labor, senior Labor Party politicians debating various aspects of the war. That was within the first uh, six months or so of uh, the war uh, actually happening. Mm. And uh, that uh, created a ferment of debate. So th- there were outside the university, there was one particular group, uh, the Save Our Sons movement, which was formed by women who were opposed to the war. And particularly, well, they, they became opposed to the war, but the, the Save Our Sons indicates they were opposed to uh, uh, their sons or anybody's sons being conscripted to fight in a war. Mm-hmm. Uh and that's a, a close parallel with what happened in uh, the First World War when uh, the, the women's votes uh, uh, were seen as uh, particularly important and women, not all women, some women supported the war, but uh, many women opposed their sons being sent to fight. And just yeah. within my own family, uh, there are a couple of instances of uh, uh, parents uh, being reluctant to allow their youngest son to join the army. I remember I had an uncle who joined up voluntarily at the age of 16 mm. and that was below the uh, 
age at which you're allowed to recruit. And his father went along and pulled him out, mm. told the army he wasn't of eligible age on the grounds that he'd already had three sons killed in the war and he wasn't mm. going to have a fourth. Uh, so that sort of thing happened in the First World War and the Save Our Sons movement was uh, uh, founded on that on a similar sort of basis. Mm. There was also another group called the Youth Campaign Against Conscription, which, as the name implies, was specifically opposed to uh, conscription. And uh, that, uh, uh, both those groups really focused on uh, uh, the 1966 national election where the big issue was Vietnam mm-hmm. and Labor under Arthur Corwell strongly opposed uh, participation in the Vietnam War. Uh, the Liberal reigning Liberal government supported it and they won a, an overwhelming victory. The Liberals party did. So mm-hmm. there was majority support for the war then and uh, that was reflected in uh, the election results which were a devastating loss for the Labor Party mm. and a demoralising loss for those who were opposed to the war in Vietnam. But mm. the war kept going, uh, knowledge about it increased and uh, opposition to it increased. This is The Radioactive Show and I'm speaking to Bob Muntz about the resistance to the Vietnam War and he now describes the turn in opinion against the war from the 1960s through to the 70s. Uh, It took two or three years, but people began to refuse to register for conscription. The system was Mm -hmm. that as a 20-year-old you were required to uh, register before your birthday and then a ballot was held, and if of days... uh, of the year, and if your birthday came, was uh, birth date was listed on a marble that came out of the barrel, then you were liable to be conscripted. Mm. Conscripted, and the reason that was adopted was that the government didn't really need every twenty-year-old to join the army. They only wanted a relatively small number because the number of Australian troops in Vietnam was never more than a token number of, of mm. ten thousand at a, a particular time, maybe. 50,000 different people would have served over the five or six years the war uh, lasted. But uh, only that small proportion were required and they did it by ballot. And uh, there was uh, never... Uh, well, conscription was never implemented in World War One because the, uh, the two conscription uh, referenda both voted against uh, introducing conscription. Mm. Uh, but the... That's uh, and I think they might have even uh, had plans for a ballot in in World War One, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it never never uh, was never required. Um, so there there were differences there, but uh, another difference is that uh, the opposition to conscription in World War One, which had majority support, as it turned out, uh, was for a whole range of uh, reasons. Mm. Uh, one of the slogans was "Fight as free men." implying that it's okay to go and fight in the war, but do so as a volunteer, not as a conscript. Mm. Uh, Another factor was uh, 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 say no to conscription uh, to keep Australia white. Uh, And the thinking behind that was we needed to keep our uh, troops in Australia to fight the the yellow hordes from the north who uh, were... about which there's a lot of fear at that time. Mm. This is when white Australia was uh, almost universally accepted as a policy uh, in Mm. Australia. And, of course, uh, a similarity is that there was uh, uh, pacifist uh, opposition to uh, 
the First World War, and that was a sig- very significant element of the uh, anti-conscription campaign. There was also a pacifist opposition uh, to the Vietnam War. That was Bob Muntz, reflecting on Vietnam War draft resistance. And now we hear from Jenny Grounds, speaking at the Brunswick and Coburg Anti-Conscription Commemoration Campaign Conference in 2017 about the context of war in the 21st century. So this leads me to the second part of my talk, the culture of war readiness and the opportunity costs of this eagerness for war and enthusiasm for war. I'm just going to mention a few things very quickly um, because I'm sure I can use a bit of shorthand here. Anzac or Anzacary. Um, the myth of the Aussie digger that Ross referred to, defending our way of, li- our way of life and democracy, and of being a fabulous soldier, that, you know, this idea that we have that Australians are, are the best soldiers and the most reliable, and, and we're very proud of that. War memorials, they're everywhere. Um, I don't begrudge people a war memorial, but the Australian War Memorial cost the taxpayer $44 million in 2014-15 in one year. I wish we could get half that amount to fund a peace museum uh, or a peace institute. War games in the basement at the Australian War Memorial, which are very disturbing, they're aimed at children and they're really to make people go there and children go there and enjoy uh, pretending to be soldiers and fighting wars, which is, is quite distressing. I think that shouldn't be the message from a war memorial. The war ads, um, there is a campaign. Again, Sue Wareham's very involved in this campaign. There are huge ads. Have you been to Canberra lately, flown to Canberra? There are huge billboards for uh, war machines in the um, baggage department, in the, in the um, arrival department at Canberra. Um, they came down for a little while, but they've gone back up again. Computer games about war. We know that so many children play computer games and adults, and 71% of them are violent with 25% of them strongly violent. I'm not sure on the figures how many of them are actually based on war and how many are based on other sorts of violence, but um, that's deeply distressing and and I think part of our more and more ready acceptance of of war and violence. And, of course, ANZUS and the way it's interpreted. Many people have uh, talked about that today as well. The way it's interpreted to imply that we have a great and glorious friend in America and we must follow them all the way. So, uh, and, and one more thing, the, um, a couple more things. The, the fact that our Prime Minister's first visit to the US to meet Donald Trump was held on an aircraft carrier commemorating a World War II battle. I mean, it seems to be just all about war. Military support of sport, education, cadets in schools. Again, I'm not opposed to cadets in schools in principle, but there's this whole... Uh, linking of everyday society activities with with war. And a particularly worrying example is the funding of the New Science and Technology Centre at Melbourne University by Lockheed Martin to the tune of 13 million initially. Um, And that's sort of like the thin end of the wedge because I think it is the first case where there are defence organisation has funded a a university um, institution in Australia. And quoting from Melbourne University's website, Deputy Vice-Chancellor Professor James McCluskey said, the university's collaboration with Lockheed Martin was strategically important. I mean, using military language. This will drive a workforce capability 
focused on impact through deep expertise and research excellence, placing us in an ideal position to assist Lockheed Martin with their research goals. The arms trade supports universities in Britain already to the tune of £83 million per year. And we know it's very widespread also in the United States. But um, I think it's a very worrying development. Um, we recently protested about the arms trade fair held at the Avalon Air Show. In, um, I can't remember which year it was, but there was a proposed arms trade fair in Adelaide several years ago, which the peace movement actually managed to shut down because... Um, uh, I think it, they were shamed into uh, shutting it down when it was pointed out to them that they were holding it on Remembrance Day, 11th of the 11th, um, and there was a, bit, a very strong threat for disruption from uh, activists in the streets outside, and it actually was shut down. But there was an arms trade fair recently at the Avalon Air Show, and we, we protested against that because we felt that the Avalon Air Show is something that's very much marketed as family entertainment, and yet it's become more and more about military uh, equipment and military... Um, uh, vehicles. So there's, there's increased spending on defence and the justification for increased spending on defence everywhere because it does suit the arms trade to, for us to buy more and more of their wares and even when the evidence for the usefulness of these wares is lacking. The US military budget is now $824 billion a year which is six times its spending on education. Um, and I think Peter Love today reminded us that um, some people believe that the, that the powers in Britain were deeply enmeshed in a military-industrial complex even before the First World War, and that was part of the escalation to war. Eisenhower, as I'm sure you all know, warned his people about the military-industrial complex and said, as he departed from office, in the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. He also said, every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fired, signifies in the final sense a theft from those who hunger and are not fed, those who are cold and are not clothed. This world in arms is not spending money alone. It is spending the sweat of its labourers, the genius of its scientists, the hopes of its children. This is not a way of life at all in any true sense. Under the clouds of war, it is humanity hanging on a cross of iron. A more eloquent description of the opportunity costs of militarism would be hard to find. And I wish we had a president like that in America right now. But what he has predicted um, has actually arrived, and the US is addicted to war. All we say is Australia should steer right away from becoming a fellow addict or continuing as a fellow addict, and nor should we support that country's decisions to go to war unless we are directly threatened. So one of the things we need is war powers reform so that the whole of Parliament discusses and debates the decision to go to war. We've just heard Jenny Ground speaking about the money which is poured into war and the culture that upholds it. Earlier we've heard from Joy DeMousey and Bob Muntz, spanning the century with personal and political histories of both the Vietnam War and World War I. The sounds of I Didn't Raise My Son to Be a Soldier have been heard, which is a song written by Cecilia John and was sung at serenading Adela, a street opera. There's much more to explore, 
And again, I want to highlight that all discussions of war and peace in an Australian colonial context are problematic to start with, because there is no current peace in Australia without a treaty with all our First Nations peoples. The Radioactive Show is produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We thank the ACE Collective of Friends of the Earth for their support. Podcast our shows on allthews.3cr.org.au under Radioactive. You can contact us by phoning 3CR on 03 9419 I'm Emma Crunch and here's to a nuclear and peaceful future. not negotiate with minor state of title government or anyone on, on our culture, on, on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scungy dollars. Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost, and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network.